So, if you were gonna do crime to, you know, subsist, what kind of crime would you do? I mean, we live in a capitalist society, whether I like it or not, so I'd obviously steal a shit ton of cash. Like, Bet. come on. Like, okay. if, you know, if I, uh, if we didn't live in a capitalist society, then I, I probably would do something more adventurous, like, for the adrenaline rush. But, like, <laughs> I don't know. It kind of sounds like to me that, that everybody's telling me I need cash, so. True. I guess that's what I do. What about you? <laughs> I have already admitted to too many crimes on my... Fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, that's it. I, okay. I was not going to name anything else that I would do because I don't want to go to jail. Fair enough. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Do you remember that time we watched Onibaba? You mean the Japanese film from 1964? That's the one directed by none other than Kaneto Shindo. That literally means... Um, demon hag? Demon hag. <laughs> Something that I, I would embrace full force. I, every single time we bring up some sort of demon or hag or witch, you're like, it me. I'm here for it. <laughs> there's this, like, there's this, um, it's not a meme. It's just, like, you know, someone posted it, like, on Reddit or something where they're like, sometimes I like to act like a goblin in my house. It's like, <laughs> why do I do this? And it goes into this, like, detailed description of, like, how they act as a goblin in their own home. And I'm like, yeah. It you. You know, sometimes you just have to run around like a goblin. Yesterday, I literally just went to the fridge and, like, grabbed that sandwich that you made the other day and retreated back to the room and felt very goblin-like. <laughs> so, yeah, we're covering Onibaba today as a part of our Origins Month in honor of Tover's birthday. Woo-woo. Yeah. And which means that we're covering a lot of movies that have influenced the movies that we're getting today. They're movies that, you know, deserve a lot, a lot of credit uh, movies that maybe we wouldn't find super scary today, but putting them in the context of their time, pretty pretty scary, pretty controversial, all of those things. It really spawned a new type of movie that we see today. That's kind of, you know, our theme for this month. So, totally, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just in case you don't know us, I'm Nicole. I'm Topher, the birthday boy. Exactly. And we're the Horror Babes here to talk about horror. Yeah, that's what we do. That is what we do. So just in case you're new here, our format is as follows. Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then I'll take us through the plot, and then we will analyze and discuss said plot. But first, we've got a little bit of horror news for you this week. Yeah. Yeah, this is our new section that we're playing with. Um, So the new Korean zombie high school uh, let's see, how is it described here on Wikipedia? South Korean coming-of-age zombie apocalypse horror streaming television series. Love that. Uh, yeah, it just came out on Netflix. Um, if you aren't watching it, you should. It's called All of Us Are Dead. It's fucking dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got everything that you want from like South Korean horror films. It has all of the sort of jokes and joy, but also has some nice fun horror going on. And I think it's looks. I think it's fantastic for me. You know. Yeah. No, um, I'm I'm into it. Yeah. We also are getting the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie coming out later this month, mm-hmm. uh, as of the release of this next week, actually, February 18th. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so Legendary uh, Pictures picked up the rights to the franchise. Mm-hmm. So now everything except the original 1974 version is ignored, and we're going straight into... Uh, a, it's a direct sequel. 
Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and we yeah we have a release date for Nope finally, July twenty second. Oh yes, a summer movie. I'm stoked. And we just found out that uh, Barbara Ferreira or Barbie Ferreira uh, from Euphoria is going to be in it as well. Nice. I am so stoked to see Kiki Palmer lead a horror film. Right. By the way, like and I with, think I've said that already, but like I am so excited with Daniel Kaluuya back teaming up with Jordan Peele again and Steven Yeun. Fuck yes. Yeah. No. This is it's it's bound to be great. Yeah. I'm so ex- I'm so excited. I am very excited as well. Uh, what's not great is that they keep trying to make this new Jeepers Creepers movie, and we really just need to get away from it because the original director. Uh, Victor Salva uh, is a horrible, horrible person, and we should never give him any money or what or attention ever again. Okay, then we won't give him any more. <laughs> Moving <laughs> that's, on. That's it. Yeah, um, that's what I got for news right now. We'll uh, probably have more next week. We, it's pretty looking, exciting news. Yeah, yeah, but we're getting a we're getting a new slate. I was looking, and we're gonna have some more uh, cool stuff to talk about next week. Sweet. So I guess that brings us to who made this thing. Yeah, which is also me talking more. That's also you talking more. <laughs> so yeah, as I said, so now we're going to talk about Onibaba, mm-hmm. finally. <laughs> um, so like I said earlier, it was directed and written by Kane Toshendo. Again, he's uh, uh, he was a just absolutely massive, massive person in the film industry. Mm-hmm. Um, basically him and Akira Kurosawa are like known for creating what we understand as Japanese film. Um, yeah. And it was very much like responding to the war. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, Shindo is from Hiroshima. Yeah. And so many of his films relate back to the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima. Yeah. Um, can't believe he lived to be 100 years old, by the way. Sick. Yeah. April 1912 to May 2012. Wow. Yeah. Um, he was also a, a super prolific screenwriter. He, had, he directed 48 films and wrote... 238 scripts that got directed. Wow. It's, seriously, it's ridiculous. Um, our stars here are also, you know, some big deals. It's a very small cast, just five people, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Nobuko Otowa as the older woman, the mother-in-law. Jitsuko Yoshimura as the younger woman. Kei Sato as Hachi, our uh, man who's run away from the war. Taiji Tonoyama as Ushi. The merchant, I believe, and then uh, Jukichi Uno as the masked warrior. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So this came out in 1964, like we said. Uh, it's a nice 102 minutes. We watched it on HBO Max. I want to say. Yep. Yep. HBO cool. Max. Yeah. Um, yeah. Came from Japan. Is a Japanese film, obviously, and it's in Japanese. Uh, mm-hmm. You will have to watch it with subtitles, but it's dope. Don't ever let that scare you away from a movie. Get ready to read. I know y'all are <laughs> literate. Come on. Um, so yeah, the cinematographer was Kiyomi Kuroda. Um, Toshio Inoki edited the film. And the awesome, awesome music was from Hikaru Harishi. Nice. I love the, um, oh, what's the names of the drums? Um, they're uh, uh, taiko drumming. Mm-hmm. Those huge, big Japanese drums. So it's uh, taiko drumming and jazz is our score. And it's really fucking cool. It is really cool. You probably don't know any of the other films that, uh, that Kiyomi Kuroda shot. Um, this is definitely one of his most popular, other than Black Cat, which is really cool. You should see that at some point. Yeah, he he did a bunch of like more um, transgressive films, mm-hmm. uh, which Kaneta Shindo did as well. 
um, a lot of people wouldn't work with these directors early on because they were so controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I love that uh, Kuroda was like, oh, no, I already do that. So we're great. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's about it for what I have on the making of right now. Uh, we'll get back to some more during our analysis section. But uh, why don't you tell me what happens in this movie? Sure. So we are in Japan. It is the mid-14th century during a period of civil war. We have two fleeing soldiers. They're ambushed in a large field of tall, thick reeds. And they are murdered by an older woman and her young daughter-in-law. The two women, yes, loot, yeah. yes. Um, the two women loot the dead soldiers, strip them of their armor and weapons, and drop the bodies in a deep pit hidden in in the field. Mm-hmm. Go, ladies. We got some thieves. <laughs> we got some murdering thieves. Then the next High day, women. highway women. <laughs> yes. Then the next day, they take the armor and weapons to a merchant named Ushi. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Then they take the armor and weapons to a merchant named Ushi and trade them for food. Smart. Yeah. And then the merchant tells them news of the war, which is driving people across the country to desperation. Almost like we shouldn't have emperors and kings and, you know, strong governments. Yeah. And then as they leave, Ushi makes a sexual proposition to the older woman who is like, "Mm, no. No, thank you. And then a neighbor named Hachi who has been at war, returns. The two women ask about Kishi, who was both the older woman's son and younger woman's husband. Yes. He was drafted along with Hachi. And then he tells them that they deserted the war and that Kishi was later killed when they were caught stealing food from farmers. Yeah. The older woman warns the younger woman to stay away from Hachi, who she blames for her hu- for her son's death. But this young lady, she's like 20 years old. She's lost her husband to a stupid war. And she's like, I don't know. This dick is nearby. Yeah, I can't blame her. And then Hachi begins to show interest in her. And despite being warned to stay away from him, she is seduced by him. She begins to, which I kind of hate that. I kind of hate that phrase. Cause yeah, she, I was like, I'm not has, a fan. She makes the decision on her own. She makes the decision on her own. Yeah, um, they, these women both have a lot of agency. He's like kind of courting her, but like she makes the decision on her own. I don't really like the idea. I don't like the phrase that he seduced her. I, I didn't see that as happening. These, Yeah, these women are literally killing people and, and fucking surviving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so nobody she just can, wants a little, she wants a little dick. She made the decision. So yeah, she made a dick appointment with Hachi. Okay. Want to make that clear. She begins to sneak out every night to run to his hut and have sex. The older woman learns of this relationship and she's angry, but also a little jealous. She tries to seduce Hachi herself, but is very coldly said no. Yeah, um, Hachi's like, nah, dude, I got this young pussy. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> That's rude. Women in their 40s are also very sexy. She then is pleading with him to not take her daughter-in-law away since she can't kill and rob passing soldiers without her help. So mm-hmm. this is means of survival for our older woman, I guess. Yeah, they, they are not named in the script, I should say. Yeah. One night while Hachi and the younger woman are together, a lost samurai wearing a hanya mask forces the older woman to guide him out of the field. He claims to wear the mask to protect his incredibly handsome face from harm. <laughs> Hilarious. She tricks him into plunging into to his death in the pit where the women dispose of their victims. Oops. Um, oops. She climbs down and steals the, mas- the possessions and his mask, um, which reveals his horribly disfigured face, which we can attribute this imagery to the 
radiation. Yes. From yes. This the, is a direct, that's the yeah. direct um, call out for that or representation of that. Yeah. Um, and then at night, as the younger woman goes to see Hachi, the older woman blocks her path wearing this samurai's robes mm-hmm. and the, the oni mask and frightening the girl into running home. During the day, the older woman further convinces the younger woman that the demon quote-unquote, was real, as punishment for her affair with Hachi. And then the younger woman avoids Hachi during the day, but conti- continues to try and see him at night. And then there's a storm, and the older woman begins terrifying the younger woman with the mask, but Hachi, tired of being ignored, finds the younger woman and has sex with her in the grass as her mother-in-law watches. So then the older woman realizes that despite all of her warnings... Her daughter-in-law wants to be with Hachi. Mm-hmm. Hachi returns to his hut where he discovers another deserter stealing his food. The deserter uh, abruptly grabs his spear and stabs Hachi, killing him. The old woman discovers that after getting wet in the rain, the mask is impossible to remove. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-oh. Rutro. She then reveals her scheme to the younger woman and pleads for her help to take off the mask. The younger woman agrees to remove the mask after the older woman promises not to interfere with her relationship with Hachi. After failing... Again, that's... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, girl. Hachi's dude. Yeah. He got spared. I know something you don't. <laughs> I know something you will never know. <laughs> After failing to pull it off, the young woman breaks off the mask with a mallet. Under the mask, the older woman's face is now disfigured as the samurai's head bent. The younger woman, thinking her mother-in-law has turned into a demon, flees. The older woman runs after her, crying out that she is a human being, not a demon. The Oof. young woman leaps over the, over the pit, and as the older woman leaps after her, the film ends. Boop. That's it. <laughs> this movie was so good. I am so glad we chose to watch this. I had never seen this before and I'd heard really great things about it and fuck me, dude. Yeah, this was my this was my first experience with this film as well and I I can fully see why people are attracted to this movie, why it is withstood the test of time. Yeah, it still is kind of freaky. Well, and it's so it wasn't like soup it wasn't super well received at first. It, yeah, no, it, it kind of so, got dragged pretty hard at the beginning. Yeah, so a lot of people weren't Okay, so the storytelling of this movie is very unique. It is very unique to its own entity. In the cinematography, in the music, in the story itself, really. And I think a lot of people were resistant towards that. Also, a lot of people were saying that this movie isn't going to do well or isn't a great movie because of all of the quote-unquote like sexuality in it, all the nudity, all of the stuff, you know, and... Basically all the titties. And some great titties in this movie. Listen, I'm all I'm going to say about that is that that is a complete double standard for people to focus on that. Seriously. Because going back to what Sydney Sweeney recently said about her role in Euphoria um, as Cassie, where she's nude a lot for a lot of the scenes. Yeah. A lot of the sex scenes you you see her. And she said, look. Whenever a man does a sex scene, there's no nothing is said about it. Whenever a woman is does a sex scene or shows anything, any nudity, it, it becomes a thing. Right. And that's exactly what's happening here when they said, "Oh, this movie isn't going to do well." It's like there, you know, there are too many, too much nudity, like all this stuff. Where I swear to God, if you had as many dicks hanging out as you as you have, you know, seeing women's breasts, mm-hmm. like 
it, you they wouldn't have ever said that. Right. It would have it would have been a different reaction. It probably would have been like, oh, why are we like seeing all these dicks instead of, you yeah. know, but it wouldn't have been like, oh, this movie isn't going to do well. Yeah. So which, it's a weird double standard. It's yeah, it really is. And honestly, this is even though this is entirely made and shot by men, I like when, when we were watching it, I was like, I don't feel these don't feel like male gaze shots. No, very few of them did. And a lot, I think a lot of them. So a lot of this movie surrounds desire and how those desires make people human. Yeah, right? it's a this is movie this is a movie about humanity. Humanity in a very inhumane situation. Yes. And what I love about the viewpoint of this movie, I'm kind of jumping around here but I'm just trying to get all my thoughts out before they leave my brain. <laughs> um what I love about this movie is that even though this is a very obviously in its nature political movie just oh, because deeply, of yeah, yeah it, it it kind of has to be it's inevitably political it never points a finger at a single person in the movie it really just shows humans trying to be human in an inhumane situation right and i think that that is really fascinating that we have it's not making like it's not making this overbearing statement it's literally just saying like this shit happened and this is the result of it and mm-hmm. it never points a finger it's it's so interesting to me because so many political movies do yeah they're making only, a very it only, only clear points statement. a finger at the structure or yeah. like the the like yeah the structures in, in power yeah it's it's so interesting to me that um they were able to achieve that and i think it's a very interesting look at it because i think a lot of the times in um even like history class as a kid you look at the straight up facts. You don't think about how humans responded to it. You don't think about how certain people were forced to do things that they probably normally wouldn't have done. I mean, these mm-hmm. women, they don't, I, I would assume they don't really like want to kill, you know, these random guys passing through, but they have to. Yeah. And the whole reason that the mother-in-law is doing what she's doing and is very, you know, jealous and whatnot is because she knows she can't survive alone. She says it. Yeah, she explicitly says that. She explicitly says she she knows she cannot survive without her daughter-in-law. So that then drives her to do even, you know, more direct things. And then it backfires on her when the mask won't come off. And then it does and her face is all disfigured. Like, all of these things, it backfires. So... It just shows you how desperate times can call for desperate yeah, reactions. Yeah, and it's, it's and like you, you, everybody's punished measures. in some way to a degree. Everybody does something wrong, right? Yeah. And it's not like they are... It, it's closer to... I would say it's closer to like a, a Les Miserables, right? Mm-hmm. People are punished for doing things that are... Even though they're doing them to survive, there is still some sort of like morality at play here, right? Yeah. Like, don't kill, don't steal, yada, yada, right? Right. So how is uh, how is Hachi punished by some guy who's doing the same thing that he was doing, right? It's another deserter who's stealing food the same way that he and um, her husband had been, Kishi. Yeah. And the older woman, you know, she's punished because she's trying to stop a young woman from having any ounce of happiness in this horrible situation, right? Yeah. It's not like she loves Hachi. No. She just wants... To feel release and companionship, yeah. Yeah. She wants some sort of release because she's been, her husband's been away. He died. She has nothing but her mother-in-law to keep her company. And that's it. Like, she's like, I just need somebody that's not a relative and that can fulfill the needs that I feel. Yeah. And because the mother-in-law, the older woman, she does 
bad things in pursuit of maintaining her own survival. Yeah. She's punished as well. And we, we're to believe that she dies at the end, right? Like, that yeah. she doesn't make the jump. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what definitely what the movie is trying to leave us with. Yeah. yeah. And we don't ever see, like, um, Ushi or the younger woman be punished in any way, but that's fine. Like, it doesn't have to be everybody, you know? It doesn't have to be across the board. Everybody gets some sort of punishment for doing uh, semi-evil things. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. But I do love it as a parable. Like, it's really well... It's based on two different uh, Shin Buddhist parables. Yeah. Um, the Yomo Odoshi Nomen, uh, Bride Scaring Mask, or the Nikuzuki Nomen, with mask with flesh attached. Literal translations. Um, but those parables uh, are, yeah. yeah, a mother uses a mask to scare her daughter away from going to a temple, and she's punished by the mask sticking to her face. And when she's begged to be allowed to remove it, she's able to take it off, but the flesh from her face comes with it. Yeah. So it's somebody standing in the way of some sort of happiness, right? Whether that is going to the local Buddhist temple or going to get the local dick. Going to get the local dick. That is a very local dick. It's, it's right next door. Listen, <laughs> if you, you got to choose if you're going to Brooklyn or if you want to just like go to the Upper West Side. Yeah. From Washington Heights. You yeah. know, eh. <laughs> the Ubers are way cheaper to the Upper West Side is all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, I, I love the themes of this film. And I think it's really interesting that it has this sort of like, um, like it's related uh, significantly to uh, no theater, N-O-H theater. Mm-hmm. Um, using the Hanya mask as like, a, they use all these different cool camera angles to film the mask. Yeah. Which is the same way that no performers um, will change their emotion based on the angle of their face they're showing you. Nice. That's how the master created. It's really fucking cool. That is really cool. If you've, ever, if you've never seen creepy. no theater, yeah. But if you've never I seen no that. theater, it's worth your time. It's really fucking cool. Yeah, I I would also I would love to talk about the um, cinematography of this movie for oh a little bit. Oh my god, gorgeous! I mean, yeah, it's mainly just going to be us like fawning over it. <laughs> it's um, so pretty. Yeah, and a lot of people were saying, like, that um, their, like, quote-unquote issue with this movie, you know, like, critics and everything, was that um, the shots were very... And also the plot was very repetitive. They were like, we didn't we didn't need to see her running through the reeds with her tits out, like, four times. And I'm like, listen... Hard disagree. Yeah, listen. You've built this world here where the idea is surviving not really thriving right no there is no so thriving what do you in this want world. them it's a monotonous routine and the one ounce of joy that she's finding is running through the reeds getting a little adrenaline rush cuz she says it's scary and i would believe that yes. if you've ever been in a corn maze i feel like it's you know <laughs> you don't know your left from right um but like so she's running through the reeds to go have sex with, you know, this guy after her husband has died, after all of this tragedy, after, you know, just all of this trauma. And yeah, you're going to get the same shots over and over again. We're not in like a multi-setting movie. We're in what? We're in like a hundred yards, like a yeah. hundred yard radius of this house. Yes. We have like the little town with the merchants. We have the pit and we have the huts. Yeah. That's it. So like, so like maybe a mile, but still like it's just a small area. And it, yeah. it, he wants you to feel lost in this small area. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so I'm just like, okay, I am I am the queen of saying, like, this movie could have been, like, 20 minutes shorter, blah, blah, blah. This movie, like, really harped on things it didn't need to. It was very pedantic. Like, all these things. Sure. I am a, the queen of saying that. But when you are in this specific setting, I don't, I don't believe that. No, this movie is exactly as long as it should be. And I don't think there's anything extraneous in this movie. I think it needed to show the repetitiveness of like 
of like her life is the same every single day. She has to fight for her life. She has to steal, kill all of these things just so that she can have food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that uh, she can have clothes, clothing on her back, like all these things, a yeah. roof over the head, like whatever um, supplies for the hut, anything. And it's a day to day struggle of monotony, but also not knowing where your next meal is coming from. Yeah. So we had to see that. And so I think I think that that critique is null and void. <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't have legs at all. <laughs> I don't I, agree with it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's just uh, that's spot on. Like the monotony of survival is it's the point. Of, it is the point. Well, and it's a lot of what it's so interesting. And I'm I, I since we are living through a very traumatic event collectively right now, like this pandemic and everything. Right. This is probably, I mean, at least in my lifetime, probably the most collectively traumatic event that possibly will ever experience you know what i'm like i never experienced something before this that was that traumatic aside from um 9-11 but that wasn't uh, that was more united states versus like it wasn't global yeah this is this is a you know global pandemic obviously and it's so fascinating because we to some to a small degree understand that that monotony of survival the toll that that takes on your mental health yeah and the idea of not of having to put everything on pause and literally having the days run into each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, this isn't as intense as this movie is showing. No, no, we we're are not, not living, living in 14th in, century Japan during it, a civil war. Yes, I'm obviously not trying to compare it that literally to that. Um, I'm just saying that some of us have like a little sliver of an idea of what that monotony of survival feels like. Hundred percent. So it can it can better put us in that place of like, yeah. It, it is rough. Like none of us, you know, n- nobody that I know, obviously, everyone I know is privileged in a in a certain way that we always knew where our next meal was coming from. More or less, yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, obviously, like I said, I am not trying to compare it to that level of <laughs> what's going on in this movie, but I think it's interesting now that we all understand the monotony of survival. Waking up each day just trying to not, you know, in our case, catch this deadly virus yeah. virus um so it's interesting and i'm sorry to bring up covid but you know it's, 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 it's no it's there. relevant it's yeah. there and it's relevant so i kind of want to talk about the setting of this movie i want to get into sort of like the uh the details the, the gritty production details as it were yeah <laughs> so we were talking about how she, you said you were mentioning how um the young woman like we have all these shots of her running through the grass yeah um so Shino needed, he was like, I, this has to be filmed in a field of Suzuki grass. Yeah. So it's a uh, type of grass that only grows in that region of the country or yeah. of the world. Um, it's, yeah, uh, China, Japan, Taiwan, and Korea. Um, and it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. absolutely stunning. But as you were talking about, like corn maze, it's super easy to get lost in because it grows so tall. Yeah. Um, especially if it's left left to grow wild, right? Yeah, and not trimmed, so it can be like over six feet tall, mm-hmm. um, and so you can easily, easily get lost in it because there's no way to see through, really. Right. And I just the shots of it just moving are stunning, mm-hmm. and the shots of her running through it are stunning, and it ended up being such a major influence on film, uh, Japanese film and television after that. Yeah. Um, you constantly. So one of my favorite shows is uh, Samurai Champloo. Mm-hmm. Which is a, uh, a, it's it's historical fiction, um, but it's about the end of the Edo period in Japan. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of shots of Suzuki grass mm-hmm. in it, 
In fact, I think the very, one of the final scenes takes place in that. Like, in the, the final episode has a lot of that in it. Um, and I think it's just so cool to see that, like, something as simple as a type of grass can be so influential. Just choosing that. And then you see it throughout everything else. Like, you see it in Akira Kurosawa's work. You see it in um, a number of different, like, uh, horror films from Japan later on. Like, it's uh, there's a shot of it in The Ring. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just so cool to me that like it keeps being used like even in and it even influences like Western film. Yeah. Definitely. So think of like Interstellar mm-hmm. or uh, hell the first uh, Star Trek reboot movie with Chris Pine. Yeah. Like there's huge all these shots of grass and like how we view sort of someone being lost. Yeah. And it it's that and it's still going on. What? Uh, it's 1964. So almost 60 years later. Yeah. That's wild to me, you know. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I love, I love the contrast of how everything looks in the daytime with this kind of monochromatic way of filming. Yeah. Versus at night, it, like I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's so stunning. Well, and it's because they used day as night as well. Like yes. even before, even before that was a thing. Sergio yeah. Leone was doing mm-hmm. it. Uh, he would do it in color. Mm-hmm. But they were doing this in black and white, and that's fascinating to me. They would, um, they had the the crew would build these uh, big screens to block the sun uh, for night scenes. Yeah, but they would still let natural light through so you could see, mm-hmm. and that's so fucking cool. Like no, moving just like cool. screens around, and using that to to adjust your lighting. Yeah, and using only natural light for the film is so fucking cool. Like we we complimented Robert Eggers on that so much for The Witch. That mm-hmm. he only uses natural light and candlelight. And this movie does the exact same thing, except there's no candlelight in the film. There's no lanterns or anything, you know? Yeah. No, 100%. But I think it's so fascinating the way that they used all of this different light. And, like, they build, they would build towers to get crane shots. I love that. And, of course, as every director we talk about, as many, many of the directors and great directors we talk about on this podcast, uh, Shindo was an asshole. Uh. <laughs> He the, the filming was awful. It took three months to shoot this. Three months? Three months. Wow. And, yeah, it, it, they built their own buildings to live in mm-hmm. and the sets. They, The crew kept trying to leave, and he's like, no, we stay on site. We have to make this. We have to keep doing this. And he was like, okay, if you, lo- if you leave, you don't get any pay. And oh, that's, come on, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he ends up doing like a heart of dark. He heart of darknesses himself. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, so he ended up in the, in his 2000 film by player. He dramatized scenes of how much the crew hated him. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> He's wild. Um, but yeah, so like, I just think it's so fascinating that like, they just lived on the, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, man, that's really cool. But also, dude, yeah, be kind to your crew. I know. I'm like, that's, that's kind of bullshit. Yeah. They have lives too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this, it, it created a great art project, you know, it's like we talk about with Kubrick or with, uh, we talked about Renault and we talked last week and we, we've talked about a lot of other directors who really should have been stopped but at the end we get fantastic work you know yeah like francis ford coppola nearly nearly killing martin sheen twice on the set of apocalypse now like you know it's just how it goes right but yeah i mean this is this is just some very very early 
ideas in the realm of film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it, I think it's fascinating that this is so many so many things that become a thing for yeah. a while or to this day. You see them in this film. I'm not saying it was the first to do any of these necessarily, mm-hmm. but like this has sequences filmed in slow motion. Not a popular thing to do in the '60s, right? But it it became a thing. Uh, we mm-hmm. see it all the time now, and like again, like I said, the running through the grass or just using grass to like cut, like using grass for angles mm-hmm. is brilliant. It's so clever. Like how yeah. like you like now it's just something you know to do, right? And yeah. he's out here just like. Yeah, no, we set up the camera in the grass and had people run through it, and we filmed that. And then we had above head shots from these towers that we built so that we could get the crane shot. And it's like, who thinks of this? Like, you're the first, like, not the first, but, like, one of the first people. Like, this is not something he was taught. This is something he just was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, and that's, you know, kind of the biggest point for our, that we're making in our Origins Month, right? right. Is going back to those movies that did just that where maybe it's something we take for granted or we don't even notice in movies that we see now because it's not new to us. Exactly. So it's kind of just honoring where these certain uh, techniques or shots or, you know, styles came from. Right. And I love that about this. Like, it's just so, so clever to me. Like, they couldn't use, they couldn't fill an actual, they couldn't make an actual hole in the ground because it's a swamp. So every single time they dug a hole, it would just fill up with water. Mm-hmm. So they had to build an artificial hole above ground. So every single time you see a shot of the hole, that's oh. something they built. It was not actually in the ground. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. It's just There's just so much cool shit in this movie. <laughs> no, 100%. So I do want to talk a little bit about the folklore connections here. Yeah. I think it's so clever to have this idea of the... To use this, this uh, Japanese myth of the oni. Yeah. Um, Oni means demon for those who don't know. I think it's so clever to have, like, I don't know. We, we always use these ideas of our past and our, and we, we adapt and understand our, we've talked about this a lot, like Mm -hmm. using folklore to inspire horror because horror is often, not always, often, um, some sort of parable, right? Yeah. So yeah, the, uh, the idea of the Oni, right? We, it's, it, it just means literally demon, but I think it's so cool that they, use this in that um we were talking about the the older woman right the mother-in-law mm-hmm. she is not a demon but does portray one and i think that that's really cool. it's interesting in like how she becomes the demon yeah almost does that make sense yeah through what her jealousy and and it, like through all of those feelings that she's having acting out in this way then it she you know it it, it she gets punished for it and the really interesting moral play here is that, again, you're kind of, you can't really point fingers at anybody because everybody is just trying to do their best to stay alive and be happy in these circumstances where, yeah. like, I, I honestly can't even blame the mother-in-law for doing all of these nasty things because... Yeah, she's she not a villain, but she is a demon. She literally can't survive without her daughter-in-law and her daughter-in-law is like that's not my responsibility i'm trying to be you know happy my husband just died like all these things so it's it's an interesting thing where you're just like i can't blame anyone in this movie for what they're doing even though they're doing terrible things yeah that's why i compared it to lemus arab like like that's what it is fun um yeah (laughs) uplifting (laughs) um one fun thing that i learned about this movie is that uh william freakin had seen this 
And so he references it in The Exorcist because he took he took the Hanya mask and he yes. made uh, yeah. That's where um, Captain Howdy is that what they call? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's so fucking cool to me though. I'm like I love that that they were like okay cool. No, so, now really- that I think about it, I see the resemblance. I can see where they uh, decided uh, to use that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just, I don't know. I can't say enough about how cool and influential this movie is. Mm-hmm. And I can't, like, I, I, I have this sort of obsession with this period of Japanese film uh, from the 50s to the early 70s. It was just an, a really cool time when a nation was collectively grieving its own trauma. Yes. So we can't talk about this film without talking a little bit more about um, the U.S. bombing uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. So, one of the worst war crimes ever committed. Uh, <laughs> Easily. Uh, was unnecessary. Yeah. Did it? We did it to scare Russia. Oy. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Um, but it left not only a literal scar on, or literal scars on the faces of in bodies of people, but also on the land, but an emotional scar that is dealt with throughout Japanese cinema after the Second World War. Yeah. And there are no heroes in war, only people who win or lose. Um, there's no good guys, right? But I think what's so clever and what's so, it's so, it's so heartbreaking about mm-hmm. that period of uh, Japanese cinema is that all of those people, all the people making those films and starring in those films lived through that. Yeah. They not only, they may have fought in the war, but they also definitely saw death and destruction around them and for the man who made this to be from one of the cities that was bombed you feel it there's a there's a there's a heartbreak to this film oh for sure and it's not just the literal references of the disfigured faces although that is part of it and he said that explicitly but it is more even more it you feel the 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 pain and the trauma in this film yeah of a nation just disrupted by another force or by internal forces in the movie but like that the people are hurt when powers go to war. Yeah, 100%. And I love that we were talking about the humanity of this film. And this is a very human, very tough movie. Yeah, exactly what I was, what I was saying earlier mm -hmm. that it is, it is literally just about humans trying to feel human in an inhumane situation. Exactly. And I think it's so, yeah, I, this, the word I keep coming up with is heartbreaking. But yeah, like, I mean, looking at the literal last lines of the film, I am a human. I am not a demon. Yeah. Like, that's that's what this movie is about. Like, I'm not the problem. Mm-hmm. And she is, but she's not. And I think that that's so, it's so telling in this movie that, like, that's what he chooses. That's the last line he chooses to have. Before, like, yeah. in the last shot is this young woman running away from her mother-in-law. Well, it just kind of shows that um, we tend to demonize people who are just doing what they need to do to survive. And instead of us looking at the structures that are causing them to have to do these things that we're demonizing them for, we are not we're not looking at it in a humane way. We're not saying, like, what can we do so that they're not driven to do these things? Exactly. Like, and that's exactly what that line means to me, at least, is... 
I'm, I'm not a demon, I'm human, meaning I have the right to be able to survive just as much as you do. And yet it's been super, super hard for me to do that. And so I've had to go to drastic measures mm-hmm. that you decide to demonize me for as opposed to really looking at what we can do to change the structures here. It's not yeah. dissimilar to our... our um, are houseless folks in New York City. They're driven to do things that just literally to survive. And instead and instead of us actually looking at the structures to try to fix it, we're saying like, oh, this this guy asking me for money again. Right. Like, you know, we're annoyed by it when really it's kind of like they're they're literally just trying to make 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 it through the day. Yeah. And that's exactly what this film is about. And I think it's about there's relating it back to uh, the bombing of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's even more about trying to piece your life back together after a traumatic event. Yeah. Their nation is split in multiple pieces because Mm -hmm. of the civil war. Their lives are ruined because of the local warlords or whatever. And their family is ruined because of this war. Yeah. Like the mom's son, the, the husband didn't, there was no need for him specifically to go off, right? Right. I think it's that's like it's that casual brutality yeah. of war, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I love films about war that focus on that, especially horror films that focus on war. Yeah. Because um, they do show you exactly what the costs of the human costs of that are. Yeah. Without you know, there is a body count, obviously, but it's less about the body count and more about whose bodies we're counting, yes. right? When we say like, oh, war is terrible, and you like, you see, saving like, take some movie like, the more propagandistic ones of the '40s, like war films of the '40s and '50s, yeah, things like Twelve O'clock High or Tor 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 and all that stuff, right? They show you, oh, war is terrible because see all these people who are dying, and the, the, but good for the kids who are doing it right, you know? Yeah. As opposed to something like All Quiet on the Western Front, or arguably Saving Private Ryan. So the opening scene of Stephen Prime Ryan says, look how terrible this was. All these people died. But then when you act, when you actually get through the film, you see these people dying one by one. And you learn who they are. And you say, well, why did this little boy from Idaho have to go die? Right? right. All Quiet on the Western Front was banned in Germany yeah. uh, by the Nazis because it was an, it's a pacifist message. It's an anti-war message because it's sitting there going, why did it have to be me? Why did it have to be my friends? Why couldn't it be somebody else? Yes. And for what reason are we doing this? Mm -hmm. And that's what this film questions as well is what do we gain? What do the people gain by going to war? Yeah. And the answer is misery and trauma. That's what they gain. That's the only things they get. The people never, ever benefit from war. Yeah. Only those in power do. And that's what you're talking like when you're talking about structures. That's exactly what this is about. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think this is one of the most human films I've ever seen. Yeah. Just it at its heart, like this movie makes me really like I'm I'm rereading the plot in right in front of me, and I start tearing up because it's just that powerful. Yeah. This is one of my favorite movies I've seen in a very long time, and I will be rewatching it probably tonight. <laughs> it is I cannot recommend this movie enough. I have I I don't like when we're all just like glowy happy yay every time, but fuck, dude, I'm having a really hard time coming up with a single bad thing to say about this movie. Yeah, no, and I think that if you are a fan of um, Japanese cinema in general, maybe even more specifically Japanese horror films, this is definitely more than worth a watch for you. Yeah, if you if you were a fan of that genre, I would definitely say 
for sure watch this. This is a must watch. This I think is a must I think watch. no matter if you if you like movies, this is a must watch to me. But yeah, no, I think this is yeah, no matter what, it's a must watch. I can't say that enough. I could say it fifteen more times and it still wouldn't be sufficient. <laughs> like I just can't I, I, I'm overjoyed that this movie was as good as it was. Like it truly delivered on everything I'd heard about it. And on that very high note, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We're on a website at horrorbabespod.com. Mm-hmm. All true. If you're enjoying us, give us a little rating review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. And until next time, bye, bye babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.